What, in addition to the right equipment, does it take for the job of film editing? Welcome to The Cutting Room, the official podcast of AOTG.com, and I'm your host, Gordon Burkell, and this episode, we're going to be interviewing Sam Rice Edwards, and he's the editor who took on the challenge of editing Life in a Day. If you remember back in 2010, Joe Walker edited Life in a Day 2011, I think is when it came out, and then they decided to do a follow-up, which is Life in a Day for 2020. Now, what's interesting is they chose July 25th in 2020 and if you remember 2020 it was pretty uh crazy sam sits down and we talk about the darkness of some of the story structures we talk about uh, how do you tackle 15,000 hours of footage and so much more with all that said here's my interview with sam i guess first can you tell me how you got involved with life in a day basically kevin was putting together a team of editors you know i I've, I've worked with ken before on a on a number of projects and probably the main one was uh whitney the whitney mm-hmm. documentary in sort of 2018 and he gave me a call and just you know said would uh, i like to be part of the team to, to work on this and you know i i, I kind of jumped at the chance basically because it's it's always a, a a sort of really sort of fun venture working with kevin and and just the nature of this film i knew it was unique project well a unique project that comes around every 10 years but what's interesting about whitney i remember a lot of people talking about the editing it was because... like an assemblage of footage if i recall correctly like you weren't relying on interviews as much well we we had we did have uh we had interviews i mean i guess in whitney what what happened was the, the sort of backbone of it was interviews but we used kind of montage to tell quite a lot of the parts of the stories yeah, we just tried to be a bit more cinematic in in areas, um, and so we we broke away from the interviews at, uh, at certain points. But the interviews still were the kind of backbone yeah. of the structure. Well, I was going to ask, how did that prepare you for something like this, where you're having so many different disparate pieces of media that you have to sort of assemble into story? You know, Whitney for me was a massive learning curve, and that definitely fed into this. And uh, funnily enough, we were sort of ha- we were in an interview the other day. I was with the other editors, um, M. Demiri and Inse, and uh, somebody asked us a similar question. We sort of came to the conclusion that actually everything we had ever done fed into this. <laughs> you know, you had to kind of draw on like all sorts of things that you'd learn in all sorts of places. But uh, but uh, you know, I-, I would say that Winnie particularly helped me in certainly the sort of narrative through montage. I mentioned earlier those older films of uh, day in the life of films like Man with a Movie Camera, Berlin, uh, Symphony of a Great City. Did you guys go back to those or look at those to get any inspiration? Yeah, no, I mean, we didn't look at those, but, uh, you know, I've never seen those, but I'll definitely, after this, check those out. Kevin got initially the idea from... Oh my God, I've forgotten the name of it. In wartime Britain and mm-hmm. listen to Britain. That's what it mm-hmm. is. Listen to Britain. So that's basically where the kind of seed of the idea came from. So we looked at that. Weirdly, when I started doing the the project, I found something just like by, by accident called Hackney in a Day, which yeah. was from the 80s. And it was from, you know, the borough of Hackney. Um, they had a sort of local project that was, kind of a similar idea you know it wasn't really kind of that informative we were already kind of in the process Mm -hmm. 
But no, we didn't watch uh, sort of Day in Life in Berlin, but maybe we should have. <laughs> <laughs> One of the questions that I'm sure you're getting asked a lot is how much footage did you guys receive? There was uh, they, around 15,000 hours um, <laughs> was the amount. Yeah, which is just like an astonishing amount. I, I can't remember how many solid days that is. We kind of worked it out at one point. Yeah. It, it, it was funny because actually you're an editor, but really you're part of a team of people on on this more than any other film because you're yeah. so reliant on, mm-hmm. you know, we, we had a number of sort of four assistant editors, but then we had this team of kind of 60 reviewers who were many different nationalities, spoke many different languages and were all based all around the world. And it was their job to having spoken to Kevin and the, the edit team, they basically watched everything, every yeah. every kind of minute. Wow. And um, we had this process between us of ways that they could rate the footage that was intricate on one level and simple on another. But but that that's basically how we got through that amount of footage. Did you weed it down to a certain amount and then you guys screened it? Or Well, well, well what was kind of interesting is basically the footage was, it was I mean, it was kind of amazing. Uh, Jack, the producer, had sort of he, he kind of oversaw the building of this amazing database that we could all access. So we weren't only being given stuff that the reviewers had rated highly. We could look at anything, but obviously we couldn't look at everything. Basically, they had a star system, and so we had you know up to five stars, and we got everything that they rated four and a five. And we spoke a lot with them about what was a four and what was a five and what was a three. You know. And we were looking, you know, mainly for developing stories and and great characters. But we would also look at what was, you know, sort of spot check through the threes and the twos and the ones to see if the rating system was working and pick up um, where it was off and then go and speak to the reviewer and kind of retune them, you know, realign them so that they were kind of back on course. And through that and through the sort of teamwork of that, we managed to kind of through it and find the best developing stories but we still had this database where we could then go back in and look you know once we had a structure I'm kind of jumping ahead but Mm -hmm. but basically we would use those developing stories as the spine of the film to to kind of find a structure and then we could delve back into the database and, and literally find whatever we wanted just use different search words different ways of searching and it would constantly throw up different contributors' footage and different images. And, and, and so it was really kind of quite a crazy experience having this database because you could, you know, you'd be doing a montage and you'd think, you know what, I need a, I need a horse galloping across a <laughs> field or I need some elephants or I need a, a car burning or anything. And you'd find ways to search for that. And 99% of the time, you'd kind of find what you're looking for. Now, you guys were cutting this during COVID. How did you guys set up and work during that time? Because I know a lot of editors had to shift into their homes for editing. How it worked, in initially, we, we weren't in lockdown, and we kind of came together, you know, obviously all kind of wearing masks and PPE'd up. But then somebody on the uh, reviewer team caught COVID, and so we all uh, and had come into the, the building. So we then all split off and went home basically for the first month you know we we had we had three months to do this well no there were four months there was a month of the reviewers at the start and then they kept going but then we in the second month we basically just watched footage and talked about it 
um, and came up with ideas and, you know, played around with different ideas, or, or, uh, many of which, you, you know, we then worked on in the third and the fourth month. So in that, in that, in that month where we were just talking about ideas, we were sort of, you know, doing it all remotely. And then through the edit process, that was a mixture of remote and sometimes we would come together when, you know, it was okay to do so. Because the world was pretty dark <laughs> in terms of everything going on, how do you think that impacted the cut or do you think it impacted the stories you were telling for this film? Un- undoubtedly, undoubtedly. It was really strange, actually, um, watching all this footage. Sometimes I, I, and I've spoken to Kevin about this before, is that, you know, the thing that really surprised me about when, when I got into documentary and it was such a great surprise is that you learn more about humans mm-hmm. and you actually ultimately learn about yourself with each project that you do. You learn about people's psychology, like how humans act, you know, in different situations. And I kind of feel like this film was that process, but on steroids. <laughs> and, you know, you, we saw so many different viewpoints and really took a kind of pulse the pulse of or the temperature of humanity on that day and you know we found we got a really good idea of by listening to all these people but it, it, people were extremely introspective and thoughtful and it wasn't you know it's very different to 2010 where you have people kind of going out and doing things there were a lot of people sitting at home thinking about their life thinking about the world thinking about humanity they, they, they were also, you know, within a time when everyone, loads of people around them were doing that. So it had a really introspective feel to it, what, what, what we got, which was really great on one hand, but a re- really challenging on another because you can only listen to people's introspection for so yeah. long. So, so it was a blessing and a curse, you know. Is there a particular scene that you're most proud of? Hmm, that's a tricky one. Obviously, there's, there are there are montages. I mean, how how the, the structure of the film really? You have characters and their stories, and then we sort of have themes around the stories, and then we develop these themes through montage. There are some montages that I really enjoyed. The sort of spiritual montage that's showing a lot of different religions around the world. Mm-hmm. I really enjoyed doing that. But just to say, you know, we're a team of three editors. It was myself, Entemiri, and Insay, and uh, you know, we were all working together and swapping things between us as well. But I guess I could answer that question in a different way, which is that maybe there's, there's some characters that I just like being with the most. And there's a sort of family of Turkish farmers. Uh, I kind of have this feeling that I want to go and stay with them and, and <laughs> go and live with them for a week or two or something, just because they're just their way of life just seems so lovely that I kind of you know fell in love with those guys through the mm-hmm. process on the other side was there like a crazy piece of footage or something that made you laugh really hard that you wanted to put in but it just didn't work in the film yeah yeah there was definitely just because of the, the time because of covid and because of this kind of introspection and this introspective feel the main strong things that we didn't put in were dark and not not because we were trying to veer away from anything dark at all but just because it was there was just too much of it, you know. It was it became a sort of repetitive mm-hmm. thing about uh, you know death basically. But there was some really really strong stuff around 
death that you know we've got quite a lot of death in the film but there were some other really strong scenes that didn't make it in that were heartbreaking and it felt heartbreaking to leave out and i mean the other way around for things that were light and funny that made me laugh hard i mean that was hard to find actually weirdly you know in fifteen thousand hours there wasn't that much of that the ones the guys that i feel sort of sad that didn't make it in somehow as these crazy uh, pair of German guys who repair bells in churches, old church bells, yeah. and they sort of go on this journey to have a look at this church bell. They're, they're just funny characters, but ultimately their, their story didn't really pay off, so it, it, it didn't, didn't quite work for us. There were so many different pieces of footage and little moments. How did you approach finding a sense of pacing and rhythm in this? when in some instances you might be able to follow a storyline, but in others you might just have little snippets of pieces. I think you kind of hit the nail on the head on the sort of the, the, the main challenge of the film. You've got no roadmap. You've got no story. You know, how, how do you create that? And, and so that's why we, from Kevin's experience in, the, in, in 2010, um, and his experience anyway, he sort of... He, he had a good idea of how to do that. And what we did is what we looked for developing stories first and strong characters. We narrowed that down to maybe 20, 15, 20 developing stories. And, and that is what we did. The first structural layout was with those stories. So we narrowed it right down and built the film, the very rough version of the film using, using that. And then from that, we then once we had a kind of shape, you know, had a sense of a beginning, middle and end um, and, and saw that various themes were developing, we then could bring in smaller characters who maybe just had a moment or a couple of small moments and started fitting them in and seeing if they would fit in and make sense in, one, in some way, shape or form. And then beyond that, we, we opened up to narrative and more visual storytelling then all hell breaks loose because you can just get whatever you'd like and build these kind of insane montages where you just imagine a shot and you can find it. It's almost every editor's dream and yet it's a nightmare, right? Like, I just need a shot of this. And now you have <laughs> thousands of shots. You just have to find the right one. It, we, myself and, and Demirian and say we were always kind of joking because, you know, you could never really finish anything because, you know, you'd always think, oh, I'm just going to look on the database one more time, you know. You go home late at night, get back, and it'd be sort of two in the morning. And you think, oh, I'm just going to, because you could access it from anywhere. I'm just going to check the <laughs> database. By doing that, we actually found some more great little shots that fitted in, but it, it, it meant that we didn't get much sleep. Now, I have one last question that I like to ask everyone I interview. What would you say your favorite guilty pleasure film is to watch? Yeah, you know, it's funny because I, I've, I've listened, I, I, I love your podcast. Oh, and, thank um, you. <laughs> I knew you asked it to the end, and... I kind of, I was really struggling to think what is my guilty pleasure, but I, I sort of realised actually probably it's a documentary called Style Wars. Oh, you know, it's funny you would say that. I'm actually going to be talking to Sam next week, <laughs> who cut it. No way. Yeah, would you... what, who, who cut it? Sam Pollard. Style Wars. Yeah, from New York about the graffiti and yes, all. Yes, yes. Did he he cut it? Yeah, yeah, with the uh, Henry Chalfont. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Okay. Well. I mean, that's amazing. <laughs> that documentary was just a kind of resounded, you know, it, it, it reverberated around the world. Mm -hmm. 
uh, when he did it. I don't know. I don't. I mean, I, I'm sure he's fully aware of that because his impact has been documented. Yeah. But when I was a kid, I saw this and I was completely obsessed by this amazing world that that showed. It was it was funny. So every now and again, just I I I'd watch that just to be transported back to that that feeling and yeah. you know get lost in that in in that world. What's crazy to me is it was Sam's first film as an editor. No way. <laughs> no way. Yeah. What, what, uh, you know, it's funny. I, ha- I haven't followed his career. What's he done since? He worked for uh, Spike Lee for several years. He's now mainly directing and producing docs. So uh, he did a whole HBO series on Frank Sinatra. And he just did the MLK FBI doc for HBO. Wow. But yeah, I, I've chatted to him before and he was saying it was... Also, he would say one of the hardest films he's ever had to cut because really? the director would come in and be like, no, it's just not right, and but wouldn't give them context. <laughs> <laughs> and then they'd be like, uh, okay. <laughs> and then so they would but go back. Maybe that's quite a good, good experience on a first film, though, because it sort of forces you to think for yourself more. Yeah. It's probably, it's probably better that way than the other way. Well, thank you so much for letting me interview. No, not at all. It's a real pleasure. Thank you for letting me on the show. <laughs> so that was my interview with Sam. I'd like to thank Sam for joining me for the interview. I'd also like to thank YouTube for setting this up, as well as Evan Winch for cutting this episode. I'm your host, Gordon Burkell. Thanks for listening.